Chapter 96 By Sunday noon, everyone in Delane had come out of his or her house at least once to look worriedly toward the north. Everyone agreed that the storm, when it came, would be one to tell stories about in later years. The clouds rolling in were a dull gray, the color of wolf pelts. Temperatures rose until the icicles hanging beneath the eaves of the alleys began to drip for the first time in weeks. But the old-timers told each other, and anyone else who would listen, that they were not fooled. The temperature would plummet quickly, and hours later, perhaps two, perhaps four, the snow would begin, and they said it might fall for days. By three o'clock that afternoon, those farmers in the inner baronies, fortunate enough to still have livestock to watch out for, had gotten their animals into the barns. The cows went mooing their displeasure. The snow had melted enough for them to crop last fall's dry grasses for the first time in months. Yosef, older and grayer, but still lively enough at 72, saw that all the king's horses were stabled. Presumably, there was someone else to take care of all the king's men. Wives took advantage of the mild temperature to attempt to dry sheets, which otherwise would have frozen on the lines, and then took them in as the daylight lowered toward an early storm-colored dark. They were disappointed. Their washing had not dried. There was too much moisture in the air. Animals were skittish. People were nervous. Meat housekeepers would not open their doors. They had observed the falling mercury in their barometric glasses, and long enough, Experience had taught them that low air pressure makes men quick to fight. Delane battened down for the coming storm. Everyone waited. Chapter 97 Ben and Naomi took turns running along beside the sledge. They reached the Pena farm at 2 o'clock that Sunday afternoon. At about the same time, Dennis was stirring awake on his mattress of royal napkins, and Peter was beginning his meager lunch. Naomi looked beautiful indeed. The flush of her exercise had colored her tan cheeks the pretty dusky red of autumn roses. As the sledge pulled into Pena's yard, the dogs barking wildly, she turned her laughing face to Ben. A record run by the gods, she cried. We made it three, no, four hours earlier than I would have believed when we had left, and not one dog has burst its heart. Aye, Frisky, aye, good dog. Frisky, a large black-and-white Audion husky with gray-green eyes, was the head of the tether. She was jumping in the air, straining against the traces. Naomi unhooked her and danced with her in the snow. It was a curious waltz. Both, gra both graceful and barbaric, dog and mistress, seemed to laugh at each other in the powerful, shared affection. Some of the other dogs were lying down on their sides now, panting hard, ob ob obviously exhausted but neither Frisky nor Naomi seemed even the slighted, slightly winded. Aye, Frisky, aye, my love, good dog. You've led a famous chase. But for what? Ben asked glumly. She released Frisky's paws and turned to him angry, but the dejection on his face robbed her of any anger. He was looking toward the house. She followed his gaze and understood. They were here, yes, but where was here? An empty farmhouse, that was all. What in the world had they come so far and so fast for? The house would have been just as empty an hour, two hours, four hours from now. Pena and Arlen were in the north, Dennis somewhere in the depths of the castle, or in a prison cell or a coffin awaiting burial if he had been caught. She went to Ben, put a hesitant hand on his shoulder. Don't feel so bad, she said. We've done all we could do. Have we? he asked. I wonder. He paused and sighed deeply. 
He had taken off his knitted cap, and his golden hair gleamed mellowly in the dark afternoon light. I'm sorry, Naomi. I don't mean to snap at you. You and your dogs have done wonders. It's just that I feel we're very far from where we could give any real aid. I feel helpless. She looked at him and sighed and nodded. Well, he said, let's go in. Maybe there's some sign of what we're to do next. We'll at least be out of the blow when it comes. But there were no clues inside. There was just a big, drafty, empty farmhouse that had been quit in a hurry. Ben prowled restlessly from room to room. He found nothing, nothing at all. After an hour, he collapsed unhappily beside Naomi in the sitting room, in the very chair that Anders Pena had sat when he listened to Dennis' incredible story. If only there was a way to track him, Ben said. He looked up to see her staring at him, her eyes bright and round and full of excitement. There might be, (laughs) if the snow holds off. What are you talking about? Frisky, she cried. Don't you see? Frisky can track him. She has the keenest nose of any dog I've ever known. The scent would be days old, he said, shaking his head. Even the greatest tracking dog that ever lived could not. Frisky may be the greatest tracking dog who ever lived, Naomi replied laughingly. And tracking in winter is not like tracking in summer, Ben Stodd. In summer, Trace dies quickly. It rots, my dad says. There are hundreds of other traces to cover up the one the dog seeks, not just of other people and other animals, but grass and warm wind, even the smell that comes from running water. But in the winter, trace lasts. If we had something that belonged to this Dennis, something that he carried his scent. What about the rest of your team, Ben asked. I should open the shed over there, she pointed at it. Leave my bedroll in it. And if I show them where it is, and then free them. They'll be able to forage for their own food, rabbits and such. They'll also know where to come for shelter. They won't follow us? Not if they're told not to. You can do that? He looked at her with some awe. No, Naomi said matter-of-factly. I don't speak dog, nor does Frisky speak human. She understands it. If I tell Frisky, she'll tell the others. They'll hunt what they need, but they won't range far enough to lose the scent of my bedroll, not with a storm coming. And when it starts, they'll go to shelter. It won't matter if their bellies are hungry or full. And if we had something that belonged to this boy, Dennis, you really believe Frisky could track him? Aye. Ben looked at her long and thoughtful. Dennis had left his farm on Tuesday. It was now Saturday. He didn't believe any scent could last that long. But there was something in the farmhouse which would bear Dennis' scent. And perhaps even a fool's errand would be better than only sitting here. It was the pointless sitting more than anything else that grated on him. The hours ahead when things of grave importance might be happening elsewhere while they sat and twiddled their thumbs here. Under other circumstances, the possibility of being snowbound with a girl as beautiful as Naomi would have delighted him, but not while a kingdom might be won or lost 20 miles to the east and his best friend might be living or dying with only that confounded butler to help him. Well, she asked eagerly, what do you think? I think it's crazy, but it's worth a try. She grinned. Do we have something with his scent strong upon it? We do, he said. Getting up, bring in your dog, Naomi, and lead her upstairs to the attic. Chapter 98. Although most humans don't know it, scents are like colors to dogs. 
Faint scents have faint colors, like pastels washed out by time. Clear scents have clear colors. Some dogs have weak noses, and they read scents the way humans with poor eyes see color. Believing this delicate blue may actually be a gray or dark brown that may actually be a black. Frisky's nose, on the other hand, was like the eyesight of a man with a hawk-like gaze, and the scent in the attic where Dennis had slept on the, was very strong and very clear. It may have helped that Dennis had been some days without a bath. Frisky sniffed the hay, then sniffed the blanket the girl held for him. She scented Arlen upon it, but disregarded the scent. It was weaker, and not at all the scent she, she had found on the hay. Arlen's smell was lemony and tired. Frisky knew at once it was the smell of an old man. Dennis' smell was more exciting and vital. To Frisky's nose, it was an electric blue of a summer's lightning stroke. She barked to show she knew this smell and had put it safely into her library of scents. All right, good girl, the tall boy said. Can you follow it? She'll follow it, the girl said confidently. Let's go. It'll be dark in an hour. That's so, the girl said, and then grinned. When the girl grinned that way, Frisky thought his heart might just burst with the love of her. But it wasn't in her eyes that, he, that we want, is it? The tall boy smiled. I guess not, he said. You know, I must be crazy, but I think we're going to pick up these cards and play them. <laughs> of course we are, she said. Come on, Ben. Let's use what little daylight's left. It'll be dark soon enough. Frisky, her nose full of that bright blue scent, barked eagerly. Chapter 99 Peter's supper came promptly at 6 o'clock that Sunday night. The storm clouds hung heavily over Delane, and the temperature had begun to drop. But the winds hadn't yet begun to blow, and not a snowflake had fallen. On the far side of the plaza, shivering, a stolen cookboy's whites, Dennis stood anxiously, drawn back into the deepest shadow he could find, staring at the single square of pale yellow light at the top of the needle, Peter's candle. Peter, of course, knew nothing of Dennis' vigil. He was filled with the wonder of the idea that live or die, this would be the last meal he would ever eat in this prison cell. It was just one more tough, salty meat, half-rotted potato and watery ale, but he would eat it all. For the last three weeks, he had eaten little and had spent all of his waking time he did not spend working on the loom, exercising, and readying his body. Today, however, he had eaten everything brought to him. He would need all of his strength tonight. What will happen to me, he wondered again, sitting down at the little table, grasping the napkin that lay over his meal. Where exactly will I go? Who will take me in? Anyone? All men, it said, must trust in the gods. But Peter... You are trusting so much, it's ridiculous. Stop. What'll be is what'll be. Now eat and think no more of it. That was where his restless thoughts broke off, because as he shook the napkin out, he felt a small stab, like the prick of a nettle. Frowning, he looked down and saw that a tiny bead of blood had seeped up on the ball of his right forefinger. Peter's first thought was a flag. In the fairy tales, it is always a needle that bore the poison. Perhaps he had been poisoned now by flag. That was his first thought, and not such a silly one at that. After all, flag had used poison before. Peter picked the napkin up, saw a tiny folded object with black smudgy marks on it. 
He flipped the napkin back down at once. His face remained calm and peaceful, giving away none of the wild excitement that had burst up inside him at the sight of the note pinned inside the napkin. He glanced casually toward the door, suddenly afraid he would see one of the lesser warders, or Beeson himself, staring suspiciously in at him. But there was no one. The prince had been a great object of curiosity when he first came to the needle, stared at as avidly as a rare fish is stared at in a collector's tank. Some of them had even smuggled their lady loves up to look at the murdering monster, and they would have been imprisoned for it themselves had they been caught. But Peter was a model prisoner. He had palled quickly. No one was looking at him now. Peter forced himself to eat his entire meal, although he no longer wanted it. He wanted to take not the slightest chance of rousing suspicion. Now it was more important than ever. He had no idea who the note might be from, or what it might say, or why it had aroused such a fervor in him. But for a note to come now, only hours before he planned to make his try to escape, seemed an omen. But of what? When his meal was finally finished, he glanced toward the door again, made sure the spy hole was closed, walked to his bedroom with his napkin still casually in one hand, almost as if he had forgotten that he held it at all. In the bedroom, he unpinned the note. His hands were trembling so badly, he pricked himself again and unfolded it. It was written closely on both sides in letters that were rusty and a bit childish, but readable enough. His glance went first to the signature, and his eyes widened. The note was signed, Dennis, your friend, your servant, forever. Dennis? Peter muttered so flabbergasted he was unaware that he had spoken aloud. Dennis? He turned back, and the letter's opening was enough to shock his heartbeat into a fast drum roll. The salutation was, My King. Chapter 100 My King As you know, for the last five years, I have buttled in service of your brother Thomas. In just this last week, I found out that you did not murder your father, Rowland the Good. I know who did, and Thomas knows as well. You would know the name of this black killer if I dared to write it, but I do not. I went to Pena. Pena has gone to join the exiles with his butler, Arlen. He has commanded I come to the castle and write to you this note. Pena says that the exiles may soon become rebels. This must not be. He thinks you may have some sort of a plan, but he knows not. He commands that I be of service to you. And my dog commanded it before, too, before he died. And my heart commands it now, for our family has always served the king. And you are the right king. If you have a plan, I will aid you in any way I can, even if it means my death. As you read this, I am across the plaza in the shadows, looking at the needle where you are pent up. If you have something on which you can write, then throw down a note. I will try to retrieve it late this night. Wave twice if you will try this idea. Your friend Ben is, in, is with the exiles. Pena said he would send him. I know where he, Ben, will be. If you say I should fetch him, I can in a day, or perhaps two if there is snow. I know that throwing down a note might be risky, but I feel time is short. Pena feels the same way. I will be watching and praying. Dennis, your friend 
and service in service and servant forever.